What does the word intentional mean for you? To me, it means mindful thoughts and actions that move you forward. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Hey everybody and welcome back. I am very excited to be wrapping up the Through the Eyes of a Business Buyer mini-series where we've been unpacking the five main exit options that I kicked off the mini-series with that is the focal point of principle number three of the Intentional Growth Principles. And so far we've covered private equity firms, family offices, acquisition, entrepreneurs and search funds and strategic buyers. And today we're going to really, really hone in on family transitions And, you know, we've all heard a lot of these stats. If you have not, I mean, it's something like 3% of family businesses make it to the third generation, which probably makes sense if you're uh, an an avid listener of this podcast. Business is complicated and a lot of people don't have the the tools and the resources of the education, have really good conversations with each other. They conflate ownership roles with management roles. People don't treat each other fairly. You know, everybody gets a a paycheck because they're in the family. This is the exact opposite. I'll tell you what, this guest that I have on, her name is Rachel Wallace Andreas, and she was on the podcast with Dr. Stacy talking about your drivers in principle one. But I had to have uh, Rachel back on the show because she is in the second generation of, of uh, her family business, which is the Wallace Companies. And she's going to give a background of the of the business, but her dad started it with one gas station in 68. And now they have well over a thousand employees. They're passing things on to the third generation now. And I, I don't even know how else to say it, that this is the most amazing podcast that I've heard of someone and their family, and they've just done it right. They continue to lean into the conflict, have the conversations, elevate themselves, their advisors, and they're just doing it right. And it's by no means easy. But Rachel was unbelievably grateful. I'm, I'm unbelievably grateful for Rachel's authenticity, transparency, and just willingness to share and so for all those people that have work with family members, this is a podcast that I love. And it shows that the company that generates the wealth can be that. And people can continue having identities outside of it. And people can come and go as long as the, educa- or the, the expectations, education, and clear direction is there. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. I just had to, I just have to give you a shout out from that, as well as Dr. Stacy for, uh, for the introduction. And again, if you have not checked out the Intentional Growth Bootcamp that's coming up in Minnesota, it's on the second and third. We've got two tickets left. I'm saying that right now because I, I recorded this episode and the last episode at the same time. So there may or may not be spots full, but there was two left when I recorded this. It's five grand and it's on the second and third at Bethel University. We'll recover valuations, value growth, exits, and all the things that you need in order to view and run your company like a financial asset. So thanks everybody for tuning in. And without further ado, here's my interview with Rachel. 
You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make. Whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be, and you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace and you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option to just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash. The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term. Whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the, the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Rachel, how are you? I'm good, thanks for having me back, Ryan. I am so excited and you know, I when I was thinking about this little mini series that we we're doing and how much I enjoyed our conversation when you're on the panel with Dr. Stacy and you know, shout out to Dr. Stacy and all the work that you guys have done and I was super excited to have you on because then when I sent you over the questions and just kind of the, the topics, you're like, oh, no big deal and I'm like, oh, that's so nice because like, you know, we can all get on here and pretend like everything's fine and normal and san uh, insane with family businesses, but we all know that that's not always the truth. <laughs> so I, I, for the listeners that had maybe didn't get a, uh, a chance to take a, a peek at that panel, why don't you give us a little bit of your, your background, the family business background? Okay. Uh, so I'm Rachel Wallace Andreasen. Um, I am part of a family business and I'm part of the G2 side. Uh, my dad founded the company in May of 1968. He graduated from high school, served in the 101st Airborne, his dad died when he was 13 years old, so he started working in a gas station, and he founded our company in May of 1968 with one location, five employees, and today we have catapulted to over 1,200 team members, and we're bringing in G3, the third generation. So uh, our business is on-the-run convenience stores, uh, dirt cheap liquor and tobacco stores, uh, we have a commissary where we up, uh, make all of our fresh food for the convenience stores. 
Uh, we operate our own car washes, and then we have a brand called Brightworks for tunnel car washes, and then we have a lubricant distribution division, fuel distribution, wholesale, and transport company. So it's a it's a lot of businesses um, all rolled up now into two holding companies, and that's just all part of the story of yeah the questions that you're going <laughs> to be talking about today. What a cool story! I mean, when I was when I was reading the, about uh, about the company story, I, I mean, from one location, that is that is ridiculous. I mean, the amount of things that have to go fairly well for like a long period of time is just admirable. I, I'm, I'm super excited to hear more of the story. And it, when you know, one of the one of the questions that um, I wanted to tee up with Rachel is that what did the business mean to you? Is your, like your identity? Like, what was the narrative being told from your dad, from your siblings? Like, what was the relationship that you had uh, with the business from an early, early childhood? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the business was there when I was born. So dad started it in May of 68. He married my mom in December of 68. And I'm born the next July. <laughs> and my dad was such a visionary. Interstate 44 was that, you know, Route 66 was the highway. Interstate 44 <laughs> that replaced Route 66 was still in the process of being built and didn't get finished till 1972. But he had the visionary to build the first convenience store and it opened right the month that I was born. So, I mean, we definitely grew up in it. I mean, it was our identity. And I mean, it just, you know, dad worked hard, mom worked hard on the books and dad would bring was, home. Was she involved? COCS. So she was involved from yeah. day one, you know, running in the office and the payroll and the bank recs. And, you know, my dad had a high school education. My mom had a college education. So she did the college stuff and he did the operational stuff. And he would bring home bags of quarters from the car washes and he would lay them <laughs> out on the table. And I mean, I'm the oldest of four children. And so I have three younger brothers and we would all just roll up the quarters and the little paper things and stick them in the canvas bank bag so dad could take them back to the bank. <laughs> but it was always, um, always a bright spot. You know, we never knew the hardships of the the business. And there was definitely hardships. Like in the 70s, they, you know, were losing tons of money and, and didn't know if they would make their next payroll. And our local bank, you know, person stepped up and helped them get my mom, my parents get an SBA loan. And save the company in the seventies. And, um, but from then, you know, they just kept reinvesting and, and plugging along and it just, uh, yeah, so it was part of our identity. I mean, we, we talked about it at the dinner table. We, (laughs) we rolled car, you know, the, the quarters and we all worked in the business at some point. So, so what was the, uh, you, you mentioned your dad was a visionary. I mean, did he envision what you guys have now or like, what was he talking about back when he had started it? Well, it's interesting. I just met a person that was an employee, like when she was 18 in one of our convenience stores in a rural market, just met her. And she said, your dad would come in with pieces of paper envisioning a convenience store. Because at the time it was, you know, service bays or, you know, just Mm -hmm. a gas station where you just walked in and paid. And so she's like, you know, he... I'm like, oh my God, like I wrote a book about my dad and I said he's a visionary, but like, you know, I had other examples, but I didn't have your example. So he just, uh, it was so innate, the business, the gas station, the customers, just the relationships. It was so innate to him that he, he loved it and he visualized, you know, growth, I would say growth, customers, relationships, and, and, and making his team 
whoever was on the team feel just part of the ownership. So how did he pass that vision on to you, Rachel, and your your siblings? Like, was it more like, hey, this is what the business could be? Or is it like, hey, the business is our wealth machine? Or like, what was the kind of the the purpose, the business or the narrative that was going on with the family? Does yeah, I think it was always just the basic pr- principles of working hard and taking care of your team and giving back to the community and um, reinvesting. Reinvesting was a huge part of it. And my parents did that, you know, for a solid 30 years, everything they made went back into the business. And, you know, he always said, you know, it's important to manage the cash because you can get a lot of cash at one time, but if you spend it, it does not going to pay for your taxes or your bank debt. So I don't know. He was just poor. Smart man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing, you know, when somebody has no formal education about operations or running a business, but he was not afraid to surround himself with people that he knew, you know, would, that he trusted would take care of the things that he wasn't confident in, but he, yeah, he was just a unique leader. So, and he oh, died in 2001. Cool. So he's, He's been gone, but he's left this fabulous, you know, legacy that, you know, my mom and my brothers and I and and, and the third generation is excited to continue on. So I and and now, which is a, a super sad story. And how old was he when he died? Because I mean, fifty eight. Yeah, yeah, that's so young. When I was reading that, I was like, oh my gosh. And you know, I want to I want to make sure we come back to that kind of, kind of leading up with the story because I want to hear kind of how the progression went, Rachel. But like. I think about like you, you and your siblings, but was there, what was the, was there a mandate you guys had to work in the business? Like, was it like, how, what was the discussion as related to like your guys' future career, your career? Yeah, I, I've definitely talked to a lot of other children of family businesses and either, you know, feeling the obligation or not even being invited. And I would just say mm-hmm. it wasn't like that for us. I mean, we, you know, I don't know. I just like, it was a constant work as kids, you know, I, I have a picture on my phone and I'm helping dad wash, you know, a tinker trailer truck when I'm three years old. And so I just <laughs> feel like it was part of our blood and our life. And so we all no, I don't, none of us were asked. I mean, I, my parents did come down and ask me to come join the mm-hmm. family business. So that was a true ask when uh, we did our first major, it was the third acquisition of the company, but it doubled the size of our business and it got us into the St. Louis Metro market. So we were, you know, um, going from like 250 employees to over 500 and we were Mm -hmm. buying mobile oil corporation assets and their employees. So they were going from mobile oil corporation, public company to private company, Wallace companies. And so they asked, you know, they said, we've got a higher management. So if you want to come back to the business, now's the time. So, but I never felt, I knew I wanted to work for the business. I, you know, I just, I loved it. I love the people that worked for us. I love the energy around it. Um, And I knew eventually I wanted to do it. So. So you said, come back to the business. So so what I do you went mean by to that? College, well, went to college, went to got a business degree at Tulane and then went to work. No, knowing I did not want to come back and work directly for the family business. I mean, I wanted to go out and get my own experience. I wanted to know I could do it on my own and not just come back because I was a family mm-hmm. member. So I worked for Taco Bell in Miami and ran Taco Bell's. Then I worked for South Seas Plantation as a training coordinator, more on the HR side. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then 
the acquisition was coming through and, you know, my parents would keep me informed of, hey, it looks like it's going through. It's not going through. OK, now it's mm-hmm. going through. Now's the time. If you want now to we need you. Now we need you. Now that's need awesome. You. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. And, you know, I didn't do that. Uh, the, you know, the whole world crash in 09 when I went and I saw so like I was looking at different jobs and I so I went straight into the family business. And like, what are your thoughts? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's always like a big debate. And I don't know if I have like a clear answer for anybody because it's very unique. But like, you know, jumping right into the family business versus going and getting your own experience. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, you know, everybody's biased to their own experience. But <laughs> right. know, I feel like when you are part of a family, you know, people don't, you know, people don't know if you earned it or you're there because your last name is the same as a family business. So I think for your own personal confidence, knowing that you can go out and work at another company, knowing how those companies operate, because if you Mm -hmm. don't have comparisons, then it's either really good or really bad when you come back to your own family business, but you don't have an outside opinion. So I would always strongly encourage everyone to work outside their family business. And then I am four years and, you know, by school older than my next brother. So all my brothers end up ended up going to college, working outside the business before they came back to the family business. Super cool. And and so kind of on this, like on this topic of like the job and the career, like one, one thing I end up talking a lot about, especially from our training is this, the separation, Rachel, of the business, the equity, the asset and jobs. Yes. You get a W2 for what you do. Family business is more so than even most businesses conflate those two family businesses, even more. So like, I've heard stories, Rachel, where like, you're not going to get any of the estate unless you come work here. I mean, like, I mean, like, like just slave labor, essentially. Yeah. And so like, how did you guys have the, was it separate for you guys? How did you guys navigate that, that dynamic? Yeah. I would say everything in a family business is an evolution. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so yes. So when we all came into the family business, you know, I started in HR so we set up compensation systems and uh, and we had family governance policies. So, you know, you have your mid, minimum, midpoint, maximum. And we said, OK, family members are always going to start 10 percent over the minimum. That's just where their salary is going to be. And it's going to be for the job that they take. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. get paid equally or some inflated salary just because you're an shareholder as well. How did you how did you get to that? I mean, like that I, mean, I have to interrupt because like. You said that so clearly, but like, was it that clear when you guys started or how did you get like to, how did you clear, get there? Well, because I worked in the family business, you know, six years before my next brother, you know, came in. And so, um, it was, I guess it's what, you know, obviously dad's there <laughs> and, you know, you were working through all these HR processes. Um, and I don't know, I guess personally, I just thought it's the right thing to do. I mean, I just feel like if you're going to take a job in the company, you shouldn't get paid any more than somebody from the outside should get paid. And you should be part of that pool because you are part of management. You're an Mm -hmm. employee. And then over here in this bucket, because you're an owner, you may get other benefits. I mean, obviously, when you have ownership, we get tax distributions. And that's kind of where we started out. Um, but eventually, you know, 14 years later, the company was doing well, we had done more acquisitions. And so then we started getting equity distributions. 
but there are those three buckets and yeah. Wanna, wanna, yeah, keep, yeah. Sorry. I interrupted you in those three buckets. So you got your salary. So I don't know if I, if I derailed your train of thought. Yeah, no. So, I mean, it's just, so you, yeah, you basically asked how we got to these concepts, but there's also a lot of, you know, there's a lot of benchmarking. There's a lot of, there were a mm-hmm. lot of family businesses in the convenience mm-hmm. store industry and paying market salaries to family members seemed to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. We had other mm-hmm. family businesses that did not do that. And it just, uh, it didn't make as much sense. You, you watch what happened. You're like, yeah, let's not do We're that. Not do that. <laughs> that makes no sense. No sense. Yeah. Because so, it's, uh, a whole, it's a whole system. I mean, you know, your CFO can't know that you're paying a family member $200,000 for a $80,000 job. And then what happens when you got to, you know, replace that? It's just not fair to the company. Or fair period, right? Or <laughs> okay. any yeah, right. Yeah. right. It's so it's again. I, I love how clear you say because, but like, obviously, like it's definitely a thing that that happens all the time. And like, you think about the conflicts that arise from that, and then like, oh, I just I can't I can't even like my head can't even go there because of how, how, like we know what can happen. And so with it, the you you talked about family governance. So like, was there like how did your dad and your mom start setting up the family governance? And was there any? particular way. No, it didn't really happen. So when this acquisition happened in 1993, my dad brought in professional management. I mean, so he brought in like a a high level guy from mobile to help us run this new entity in this metro market. So it kind of established the stage of this is a, you know, a solid business that's owned by a family. It's not a family business being operated by a family. So it's, um, so that was the stage and we set up all these professional practices. So we brought in the balanced scorecard because mobile oil corporation was a Harvard business case study. And so we brought that Got in it. to communicate our strategy and we brought in a phantom stock program for our key employees that were not family members to keep those, those people mm-hmm. and to um, yeah, have a retention program for them. It wasn't until we did another acquisition in 2000 that dad and mom had the foresight to put that acquisition in G2's name. So it was so instead of just putting more in their estate, more Mm -hmm. on the line, the company, you know, backed up all the debt. But our names, my brothers and I Mm -hmm. had 98 percent of the company and my mom and dad had two. So that was the first part of ownership. And then. That was right before my dad died. So that established the stage for what we did later. So we did not the, the largest acquisition we did ha- closed in 2016, but that's the same practice we use. So we put that acquisition, that real estate all in G3's name. Wow. Super cool. And so uh, going back to like, you know, it sounds like that acquisition in 93 really kind of, you know, kind of accelerated stuff, a lot of stuff with your involvement and the company, but where was it prior to that, Rachel, of that your dad and mom started like it's viewing the actual asset so many times. I mean, again, especially the fact your dad's high school and your mom's college education, like there's college educated people like yours and truly here who didn't know anything about valuations running a family business. So where did these where along that journey did they start to realize that like how this thing is valued versus just the annual cash flow that was coming out of it. Cause a lot of times people are solving for annual cash flow and trying to distribute, you know, the funds to the family members each year on the annual cash flow versus saying, Hey, this is an asset. Was there a certain catalyst that like helped them understand that? 
You know, I, again, it was an evolution. I think they always surrounded themselves with advisors. My dad was so big on benchmarking, calling other people up, mm-hmm. asking questions, having good accountants, having good attorneys. I re- you know, they invested everything back into the business. We invested everything back into the business until the year 2015. So there was like wow. no other mindset other than this is, awesome. this is our, this is our baby <laughs> and mm-hmm. we are investing yeah. in it and we're continuing to grow it. And so we continued to do acquisitions and really it wasn't until G3, you know, got this ownership that we said, okay, let's value this asset. Let's, 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 that's when we got to the two whole. So before we had every time we did an acquisition, we created a new LLC. And so we had nine (laughs) tax returns, nine nine operating (laughs) companies and nine tax returns. And um, we rolled it up into two companies specifically for the reason that we wanted to take all the shareholders and divide out the percentage of their ownership. So when we started doing equity distributions, it was completely fair and relative to the shares that were owned. So we had to have a value. You know, you have to have an outside person come in and value it, which we did. And um, yeah. But did you did you and your siblings, so with you and your siblings, like what was the process of transitioning or transferring some of those shares or the equity to you and your siblings? Like, was it, was there any kind of... Um, stipulations for like active versus non-active as it relates to the equity in the asset and the estate planning or like how did how did you guys divvy that stuff up no uh just because like i said in 2000 we got ownership of a big entity so that was clear Mm -hmm. and then in 2016 we gave g3 ownership of this entity so that Mm -hmm. was clear and so then when we bubbled it all up and had an outside person say this is the value of the whole bucket and here's your percentage and here's the value Mm -hmm. of your percentage and we do it so no, and it does not matter if you're active or not active in the business. You are a shareholder okay, and this awesome. is your equity. And it's, you know, we have clear operating agreements. Only bloodline uh, family members mm-hmm. are part of that shareholder um, agreement. And um, no one has ever said, I want to sh- sell a hundred of my shares yet, <laughs> but we did I engaged with a family office in 2017 because we felt we needed a quarterback for our family. So mm-hmm. we needed a quarterback to, to consult with our CFO, a quarterback to consult with our accountant, with our attorney, with each independent family. What are your goals? Mm-hmm. You know, what are your savings? And then us collectively as shareholders. So that family office is our quarterback and they've kind of led us through these newer processes to make it Mm -hmm, clear mm -hmm. for each shareholder. So you can understand the difference. Yeah. If you want to come to work for our company, you're going to be in a management position, a management role. You're going to follow the rules of the team. If you Mm -hmm. just want to continue to be a shareholder, then we're trying to establish the next step as a family council. So here's how your voice will be heard as a shareholder. Here's how you would operate if you were in management. I want everybody to just li- like rewind and listen to that again. Cause like, regardless of your family business, Rachel, the amount of people that, that it's so clear talking to you. And it's so awesome because like so many times it's like the percentages of the, of the estate and the business are divvied up based on active versus non-active. I mean, like, there's no clarity. So then what people do is they just, you know, clam up and then they do what they think they need to do for their own survival, which is obviously conflict related. Yes. And so it's just, uh, Super fascinating how clear that was for you guys on the equity estate plan set. As far as the roles, like 
did you guys like have discussions or did any one of you guys want to be the CEO or like, you know, have like posturing for different positions as related to the operations and your guys' careers? Yeah. So I did want to be the CEO. I went back and got my MBA in 2012. And by 2013, I'm like, I would really like to be the CEO of this company, but if it's not going to work out here, like, you know, I would like to know if I'm not going to be considered um, mm-hmm. because then I might want to choose to go somewhere else where I can grow my career. And, uh, so my mom gave my brothers that decision, you know, because do you really want to report to a sibling? So my mm-hmm. brothers, and we had an advisory board at the time. So between my brothers and the advisory board, we did a five-year succession plan. We changed a lot of things. Like we brought in, um, we already had a CFO, So we brought in a COO. So then my brothers, one brother had already moved to the board, out of management, two of the board. Uh, The other two then under this transition wanted to, you know, it was all part of the plan. Not that they wanted to move to the board, but it was part of the plan of the succession. So then that happened January of 2017, but it it didn't really work out. it didn't really work out. And I could tell it wasn't working out relative to family harmony, relative to actually letting the succession plan that we had developed over the past five years come to life. So I left the company. But the great thing was, is that when when my brothers moved to the board, we established a board salary that mm. uh, was fair and we felt um, was I guess, reflective of the work that you still have to do as a shareholder, but not Mm -hmm. working in management. So anybody that is in family business that is in management, not happy with management, doesn't want to stay in it. You know, I don't know if there's a board position for everybody, but I strongly encourage that there be a, a healthy board salary. So if you want out of management and you wanted to sit on the board or you are a shareholder, you know, there are these different buckets Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, our family had the foresight to say, you know, to not let anybody feel trapped. There are other options besides just getting this management salary. So were there any what what were some of the if you're willing to share, like what were some of the issues that arose that uh, that made it obvious that it wasn't going to work? Well, you know, I think that after my dad died, my mom just didn't really want to give up responsibility and it really did become part of her identity. And I just woke up and realized one day I can leave the family business and still be happy, but asking her to change will make her more sad than me leaving. And so it was just time, you know, it just mm-hmm. wasn't going to change. And I can say that, it, you know, now five years later, it is now changing, but I you know, I, I personally didn't have the patience to wait, do the five-year succession and then wait, you know, five more years for things to change. And I don't really know mm-hmm. if they would have changed if I would have stayed. You know, things happen for a reason. And, you know, like... Amen to that. Stacy said, uh, she's like, you know, you don't realize it now, but, you know, someday you'll realize that you'll have more influence on the board than you did as CEO. And I said, okay, one of those things can't see it now, Stacy, but I'm going to trust you. But today, five years later, I can look back and say, I mean, our family's in such a better place. Uh, we're really working together as a board, not as individuals. And we're really focused on bringing in the third generation in a wholehearted way. And it's not mm-hmm. easy. I mean, it feels easy to say, screw it, 
to sell it. You know, we don't have to deal with each other. But, you know, when when you take the emotion away and you really get grounded in, if you have a successful family business, and I'm just going to say, like, we've been blessed that we've have a successful family business. I mean, if this was not successful, mm-hmm. obviously we wouldn't be having this conversation. You're not fighting. You're not fighting over the debt, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, so we've really been blessed. Um, Dad left a great foundation for us, and yeah, and now we're plugging away. That's amazing. So it's yeah. so what? What you? I think you just touched on a thing that everybody that has partners or family involved thinks about. F it. Let's sell the damn thing and get untrapped. And it's the trap of the emotional feeling. Cause you can be trapped financially or trapped like with, you know, the mechanical stuff as it relates to business. But I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I tried to quit multiple times. <laughs> like I was just like, how about you can pound sand and like, I want to move on. I, I, I'm so embarrassed of this. Some of the stuff I did when I was 22 at this point, but like, and you know, both, both of us have that same thing. We're like, we didn't have the tools to talk about the things that you're talking about. And so like, it's just like the groundhog's day, same conversation over and over. And so like, what were some of the things that helped when you guys ran into those conflicts? Like, how did you see the light at the end of the tunnel or what tools did you have that were at your disposal that helped you work those through those conversations? So you didn't blow the whole thing up and sell it. Yeah. Okay. So dad died in 2001 So now my brothers, my mom and I are meeting on a regular basis, just as the family that's left by two. And none of my brothers were married or had not married before my dad died. So, so in 2003, it was abundantly clear. We at, we needed help. We needed a consultant. We needed somebody to help us with communication. We needed someone to train us on what hat are we wearing? A family member hat, (laughs) a manager hat or an owner hat. So we Uh got a family business consultant. It was a, a a lady and her husband. She was a psychologist and he was the business professor and they came in and taught us communication skills. I mean, we had family meetings and we never from 2003 on, we've never not had an outside consultant. We are on our third one, the family office. We've, so we've, as we have evolved and as the Mm -hmm. business has evolved, We've evolved with the consultant that we need for what we are facing. And so we would not be where we are without the help of those outside people, because I think it's, you know, family businesses can be your greatest pain or your greatest joy. And it's your greatest pain when you are dealing with your mom and siblings and you don't feel like you're being heard. You don't feel like you're being understood and you feel like things aren't fair. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the worst Mm -hmm. feeling of all because this is your family and they're like supposed to be there to support you. And so being able to work through all those, I, you know, I'm a wholehearted believer in the right consultant at the right time because Mm -hmm. you cannot, well, just like we talked about last episode, I mean, with, you know, getting a psychologist and an executive coach, there is some stuff you cannot fix on your own. Because you can't see it. Yeah. And you're talking to yourself and you're convincing yourself of the same shitty problems that you've been having. (laughs) You're so pointed down by the emotions that you can't even, you know, like, like Stacey said, I was on the ledge. I mean, I I couldn't get out of my own head. So where, what time, what were in the timeline? Where was that? And where did you reach out? Yeah. Yeah. The The ledge, ledge, the ledge, explain, elaborate. started in 2013 and, and, you know, she definitely helped me through it. I mean, looking back, I probably a hundred percent didn't come off the ledge until I left the company. 
you know, that's probably my mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. But and was it was some of the things that you were talking about not being heard, not feeling understood? Was that some of the the root issues, or what were what were the what what defined the ledge, if if you will? Yeah, for me, it was just more that I had come into the company in 1993 when Dad brought this professional management in. And then my, I think my core issue was seeing a shift in 2003, two years after my dad died, you know, 10 years after I joined the company, that we were moving from a professionally managed company that's owned by a family to a family running a business. And it was a hard psychological shift that I probably never got over. Got it. What were some of the things that happened with that shift? Like, like maybe you can describe that shift. Like, well, how did that manifest itself? And like, was it conversations or was it le- roles? Well, or it's decision making. You know, we had an advisory board and uh, and a board of directors, and it was just really around all the levels of authority, who's making decisions, what processes are we using. And we were a very, we're a very like structured company with the balanced scorecard and our strategy mm-hmm. and our annual mm-hmm. budgets and uh, tying compensation and the phantom stock and all of those processes. And so um, it was just a convergence of, mm-hmm. you know, family wanting to make more and more and more decisions and be more and more involved in decisions that. Was it, was it, did it feel like you were backtracking a little bit? Well, in my personal viewpoint, my lane, yeah. it did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but my brothers are coming up into it and, you know, and so not from their lane, which is all mm-hmm. about family business. Everybody has a different perspective and opinion mm-hmm. and experience, you know? So, um, so, which I think is so, it, cause like I, I can feel cause I can feel it. And I, I had siblings, I have siblings too, Rachel, so I totally get it. And like, what kept the North star of like, we're keeping this business this shit is worth it versus selling it. What, what in your family kept you guys grounded into that North star? Yeah. And that would be a super awesome question that I would really like to ask um, each, each shareholder in our family. Uh, (laughs) You know, for me, it is carrying on my dad's legacy. I mean, and the team that works for us and how much they appreciate working for a family business and the communities where we do operate. I mean, we've seen a lot of sellouts around us, not just in our industry, but in these mm-hmm. small rural towns. And you just, you know, the new companies that come in just philanthropically <laughs> don't give back like the companies that are there that are owned by the family business. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of intrinsic value for having a family business and for your team, for being a private company versus a public company, long-term decisions, you know, being nimble, you know, being able to compete in the market better. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. just so much value. Uh, And so as long, and I feel so great that, you know, G1, 2, and 3 really are, you know, we're walking in lockstep now in order and that we're, that we all are committed to this. And they, and there's a Mm -hmm. company called Tugboat, and I've just recently learned about the Tugboat. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, so we've, you know, we've, we've mapped out the whiteboard of we can go this direction, we can go this direction, or we can go this tugboat direction, but we, we're going to put well, it's, it's, For the listener, I, I said yes, because I'm familiar with it, but why don't you explain to the listeners what tugboat is? Well, why don't you? Because I'm not, I mean, it's just to me, <laughs> it's, it's multiple generation family businesses that have committed to stay as a family business. And so it's a commitment on that path. 
And Isn't like a hundred year, hundred year old companies. And all I can picture Rachel is this image of the one of those little teeny boats just going, screw it. And just plowing yeah. through all of the waves is like re- relentlessly just, yes. <laughs> it's like, but, yeah. <laughs> but I have to say like one exercise that I learned, you know, just going through training and family business is, you know, like, just like you said, one, your family company is an asset. 10, your family company is an heirloom. So would you like, no matter what, would you sell it just as an asset if you got enough money or 10 would as an heirloom, would you never sell it? And you don't want to be at either extreme. I mean, you don't want to have your head in the sand if you're, if you don't have the competency to run your Mm -hmm. business and it's not going to be fruitful for the next 30 years, but you also just don't want to treat it and be, you know, not crap, like, yeah, cold warmed about selling an asset that could be like a golden goose, you know, not understanding that. So did you guys ever have any of those choices? Like, did you, I mean, I'm assuming you've had offers over the years. Like, did you guys vet out offers and how did that discussion go? Well, we have been in an acquisition mode. So indefinitely, you know, if people say we want to buy your company, it's, we've just not been interested. We've always been in an acquisition mode and we've bought other people's companies, But definitely, you know, when in your industry, when multiples get higher than they've ever been, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. should we have a discussion? And and we've had discussions because you have to. You have to know what your options are. You have to make educated Mm -hmm. and informed decisions as shareholders. But we always have come back to this place where we want to carry it on. So that's That's, where we are today. That's awesome. And so knowing kind of like with a long-term goal of keeping it, for, you know, like you said, for the most part, but, you know, entertaining some ideas, but keeping it, how do you guys on the board, I'm assuming with the shareholders determine how much you want to reinvest versus how much you want to take in distributions? Is is there a process for that? And does that ever get in conflict with the managers who want to probably just scale, scale, scale? Yes, that's evolved too. And we've come down to a formula of, of distributing three and a half percent of our equity. Um, so, so, we, and we have yeah, a lot that we reinvest relative to maintenance and capital. And that is why we're evolving to relative to the family office. And we just created um, a new position for one of our family members. So we have a chairman and president that gets paid for that full-time position. Mm-hmm. But the newest family governance position is one that works with our CFO, our, our family office, and our accountants so oh, cool. we can, you know, just the equity, the cash flow, that there's more synergy and, and understanding mm-hmm. and communication and between clarity and transparency yep. between those that. And so that, that, that person, shareholder in our family, then is responsible for the agendas for our family office meetings. And so he's the coordinator oh, cool. and he's also the one that's working with the oldest of G3 to bring this family council together. So the oldest Super G3 cool. member, who's my oldest son, is doing a presentation at our board meeting in October about this process. That is so cool, Rachel. Like, I mean, <laughs> I have more hilarious stories than you could probably imagine of like, you know, absentee or like the non-active uh, sibling who's like more distributions. And the other one that's the CEO is going, I need some capital to reinvest and grow this company. And so like, just the amount of conflict and ridiculous stories that are just tied to that one situation is ridiculous. And uh, that's, that's awesome that you guys have that kind of clarity because I'm assuming it's just, I can just probably envision how productive the conversations are, right? Like you said, they're like, you're hopefully there's a lot more of emotion that's dissipated out of that 
structure. And I don't want to, you know, it's not always rosy and peachy. I mean, we get into these family office meetings, you know, and there's stuff on the agenda. And just like you're saying, somebody has this viewpoint. Well, why should we be, you know, buying another $10 million business? Let's just take $10 million out ourselves, you know, (laughs) you know, but that's the value of communication and transparency Uh and healthy debate, you know, because everybody's voice should be heard. But at the end of the day, we are making decisions as a board. Now, I say mm-hmm. a board because there's four of us in G2, my mom in G1, and two outside board members. So yep. sometimes, and we don't have all the clarity on this yet, sometimes we make a decision on the majority with our five shareholders, G1 and G2. And then company decisions, we definitely do it at the board meeting with the two outside. But there's, you know, we're still working through that process. So when, someone does, when someone doesn't get their way, how do you guys handle it? Then we vote today. Uh, is, is, today, is it kind of- today we vote prior to this, prior to the board making decision, we acquiesce to the G1. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so I want to go back to your evolution of leaving the business. What was that like for you? I don't know. I say that since my dad died, I've had two epiphanies and leaving the business was my second epiphany. So I just, uh, lots of stuff happened that day with a, a advisory board meeting, a board meeting. We had just closed on the largest acquisition that again, doubled the size of our convenience store division. And we were already talking about selling off a piece, which I personally felt like was the cash cow. And there were multiple things going wrong relative to how decisions were being made. I went to bed that night because uh, I had a president's council meeting. So this is my like peer group of other CEOs and presidents in non-related industries. And I went to bed that night and woke up at two in the morning and which is totally not like me, could not sleep and thought, what is going on? And so I got out my laptop and I literally typed my resignation letter and I then called Stacy at four in the morning and said, okay, I have reached a conclusion. I, um, I'm resigning. And she's like, hold up, let's talk. And then I told my president's council group about my decision. And so the leader, the facilitator of that said, don't, don't send that resignation letter. Let's, let's talk. Let's regroup with the advisors. So we got Stacy together, him together, and our, the one that helped with the succession plan, the five-year succession plan. So the four of us met. And we decided I would write an eight page letter to my mom explaining, you know, my intent and Mm -hmm. uh, what I thought was not happening that needed to happen. And I did that. I read the letter to her. But in the end, it was the right thing to do to leave. And so I knew I was leaving. Uh, We I and I told I said, let me be the example about how to leave gracefully (laughs) with no conflict. I will, you know, nobody will be, you know, um, resentful questioning and, or yeah, yeah, it won't be a bad thing. It'll be a good thing. And this will be an example about how to exit. And um, so I, I did that. I, I led the leadership retreat that year. And then we, uh, our CFO got promoted to CEO. So it was our first non-family CEO. And at the same time, I was volunteering here at our synagogue for 10 years as the HR person. And they brought me into a a meeting for org structure and uh, they hadn't had an executive director for four years. And they were a little bit of a morale crisis here. 
And um, I interviewed Whoa, all where, of this. Where was that in the time? So, where was that, where is, uh, that? so they brought me in at the end of July and my last, I was announcing my exit at the end of August. And oh, cool. um, in the end, they wanted to bring back this position. And here I am today, five years later, I've been the executive director of our synagogue, which is our family synagogue. You know, so I feel like I left my family business to go to my spiritual family and things are good. Yeah. I mean, we're truly blessed. That's awesome, Rachel. And it's really good. Wow. How awesome that, that the timing like that lined up. And because like, I think, do you have any idea, like, where, if you can rec- recall where your head was at, if that position wasn't available? And here's the reason for the question, Rachel, is because I think a lot of people, when they sell their business or they leave and they become absentee and they're more like a passive, a passive owner, how they don't, their identity is so tied to where they were. They don't, know how to transition their their identity how did what would you have done if that position wasn't well, available did you have any yeah, idea I, I i had made the decision to leave in may i didn't know this position was there my thought was and my president's council group i'd been in it for seven years and anytime anybody transitioned they said give it six months like don't take another commitment for six months figure out what you want to do what's going to make you happy I was going to write a book, I mean, about my dad and the legacy. And it was therapeutic also, you know, working there Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. business for 24 years and leaving. But I called Stacy after this meeting that happened here (laughs) at Temple. And I'm like, okay, Stacy, this is my calling. And she's like, oh my God, slow down. Like it's too fast. I'm like, no, I know it. I know it in my heart. Just like I knew I had to leave. This is it. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, this has been, I, I can't tell you how awesome this has been. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I haven't covered, but like, I mean, it's, you, you I'm very happy for all of you guys. And like, what, if you're thinking, if you're like, if you're thinking about a family business that's listening in, you know, what, what any thoughts of like someone that's probably back where you were at with the, the ledge, you know I mean? Any thought like, yeah, I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not trying to like find some, some, you know, like amazing quote from you or anything. I'm just thinking no. about the people that are listening going, okay, that all sounds great. Like, how do you, how do you move forward in a, in a little step that makes sense? Yeah, I would say the core, I mean, the core factors that helped us as a family to move forward is definitely getting an outside consultant when you need it, because you cannot sweep things under the rug. You cannot be in denial. You cannot be communicating communication is so key and it's hurtful sometimes and um, it's tough, but, you know, just learning how to wear those three hats in a family business, Mm -hmm. transparency. So nobody feels that somebody's doing something they shouldn't and that causes issues. So keeping things transparent, keeping the communication open and knowing when you need an outside person to kind of level the playing field. So just so people behave better. You know, when you have a professional person <laughs> sitting there versus just your family, people behave better. And that's oh, isn't that the truth. So, <laughs> so um, one, maybe one last question is like, when you, I, I'm curious, like, you know, for the people that would want out of their management role in a family business and they're trying to figure out whether they should stay in or shouldn't, should, you know, take, uh, take a leave or, or go somewhere else. How did you determine what you liked to do? You know what I mean? Like, well, like, well, as, cause like, you're kind of like, you've got the wealth stuff fairly covered. I, I don't know any of your numbers, but I can assume that that probably wasn't as a huge concern of like, what do you enjoy doing? Yes. Is there anything that you, like, how did you figure out what you enjoy doing, whether it's strategic decision-making or leadership? I mean, was there anything that helped you 
understand that? Yeah. Stacy actually asked my brothers and I that question, you know, back in probably 2014, like, what makes you happy? Like, if you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? And I can say today, like, I love running operations. Like, I love putting systems together and governance together just for the institution and working with, you know, people and just, I mm-hmm. like that. So, so that is what I'm doing here. I'm just doing it at a different mm-hmm. place. My mm-hmm. other brother loves cattle and he has a farm and he manages our farm and he, he loves that. And he loves the transport company, which is what he did, but he's happy. I mean, he's on the board and he doesn't have to deal with management and he's doing what he loves. And my next brother is the one that took the chairman and president role. He's very entrepreneurial, just like my dad. I mean, he created the car wash, you know, division and he's created a new concept, you know, that is turning out to be very successful. So he's kind of leading the company and leading the succession. You know, I mean, that I could, I couldn't do it. I mean, I didn't have the personality for it to direct him to like black and white. So he's doing that and God bless him for it. And my youngest brother bought a outfitter ranch in Montana. And that is his other part of his life and what he does with his family. So I would say that, um, again, we were blessed to have business that our parents invested back into that was successful, that gave us these opportunities to make choices. Not everybody has mm-hmm. that. And I realize that, but, um, I guess we, I'll give you that. You've been very, you've been very, very humble with, with acknowledging that you have a successful business, but I would argue that the shit you probably went through was just as hard as starting and rolling the business because it's emotional and the chances of people just saying hell with it and taking off are very real. And so like, I, I, I appreciate your humbleness, but I also am recognizing, I wanted you to, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that what you've gone through is definitely probably worth the hard work. Yeah. And I don't want to minimize it for me or for my brothers, you know, or for my mother. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been tough, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. but I guess in the end of the day, family harmony is something that we all truly believe in and want. And if that, I guess, go back to your North star, for us, we want family harmony. We're a close family and we, and you know, like I've, I've asked my kids, you know, what would you think if we sold our family business? And they're like, Oh my God, when would I see the uncles? You know, I mean, (laughs) how could we ever do that? Like when would we ever get together as a family? So anyway, so yeah, so that's been our blessing and feel like dad's kind of still watching over us, making, you know, making things move forward. And I really feel his presence, even though he's been gone a long time and people, people that he gave jobs to when they were in bad crisis in their life that, you know, tribute him to saving their life in some way. Yeah. I still feel he's with us. So it's a good story. That's super cool. And then for the, for G3, any like, how, like, what's, what do you, what do you see as the future of G3? I mean, you see a lot of active family members and what's working with the communication. Yeah. So it, it, time will tell that will evolve. You know, the oldest is 27. The youngest is two. So, um, but I said for, you know, my oldest son, who's working with my brother to bring in G3, I said, you know, I think it's important that you interview everybody in G3. I mean, obviously you can't interview the two-year-old, but anybody, you know, just to say what it is and what you're trying to establish with the family council, because you need the perspectives based on this generation of age ranges and, and where they are and what their thoughts are. And that will evolve over time. I think that's a big thing. My dad said before he died, because he had melanoma, so we we knew he was going to pass away. Um, he said, never 
make a decision based on what you think I would have wanted, that the business and life evolves so much that make the best decision that you can with the information you have at the time. Wow, that was awesome. Yeah, it's very, very insightful. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been so fun. I've got a couple of last questions. So one is if there's a place to get in touch with you, I don't know if it's LinkedIn or if it's nothing yeah. or just your website. No, anything I'm definitely in, uh, on LinkedIn, Rachel Wallace Andreasen. Yeah, just message me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Thank you so much. And then uh, I love asking people the word intentional means because it's the name of the show. I don't remember if I asked you when you're on the panel that, um, but what does the word intentional mean for you? To me, it means mindful thoughts and actions that move you forward. Ooh, love it. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time so much. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Well, I'll tell you what. Rachel is amazing. Her family, they've all been through a lot, but I'll tell you what, they really do the hard work. And I have so much respect for the people that learn, grow, lean into conflict, learn again, grow, lean into conflict. And what you just listened to is the result. It's not easy, but it's hard work, but it's, it sounds like it's all, it's really worth it. Any family business that's listening in, I'll tell you what, the more you can clarify your roles, versus the owner uh, ownership roles versus management roles, and then have governance in place, have a clear direction for the company, hire people that are rock stars, delegate to them. You know, there's a lot that's possible as long as you have enough time, capital, and energy. And if you want to know how to get that clarity, go check out the Intentional Growth Bootcamp. And it, we're having one in Q1 next year, but we're not, not sure exactly when that's going to be. In the meantime, you can go check out the virtual option that is also at arcona.io. And a little bit of a teaser for next uh, week, we are going to be kicking off ESOPs and the Employee Ownership uh, Month. It's Employee Ownership Month, and I'm very excited because a friend of mine, Steve Sorkin, and I are going to be having a multi-series, uh, another mini-series. We're going to be really breaking down ESOPs and employee ownership and what it means on a lot of different levels, way more than I've done in the past because we're going to spend enough episodes to really unpack to start to demystify and clarify a lot of things that people have questions on for ESOPs. So thanks everybody for tuning in and I will see you next week.